listening to Story Exploder, the literary podcast that breaks down very short fiction into its separate parts. We go line by line, influence by influence, anecdote by anecdote with the author themselves. Today we're talking with Amanda Malone, author of The Flash Story, Someday Baby, You Ain't Gonna Worry About Me Anymore, published last year by Wyvern Lit. This story is a two-page romp. It's one scene, it's funny, it's weird, um, but it's totally believable, and it's got uh, a grit about it in terms of the way it deals with love and pain. I am way too proud of that opening line. I shit you not, when I get home, I find that son of a bitch trying to crawl back into my house through the doggy door. Because that was the first thing that came in this story, the first line. It was when I was still living in Georgia, and I was an undergrad, and I was reading a lot of, like, Southern grit lit writers, <laughs> and um, that was probably the biggest influence on this story. Uh, Barry Hanna and Larry Brown always writing about uh, these men who uh, they're just so obsessed with the women that they're in love with. I kind of wanted to do something from the woman's point of view. I mean, I, I've been the woman, you know, having to get rid of a crazy person, but I've more times than not felt like the person who is trying to crawl in through the doggy door, to be honest. This feeling of being so overwhelmed by your love for someone that you can't express it properly or appropriately. Again, I haven't, like, been breaking and entering into my ex's houses, but... He tells me to quit being cruel, says he's really in pain, but I'm not sure if I believe him, and I say he did it to his own damn self. Just when it looks like he's about to let out another wail, the sound seems to catch in his throat. He stops struggling, takes a deep breath. Then he says, I'm sorry, all right? Please, he says, help me get out of here. It hurts. I don't know, I kind of wanted to do something from, you know, the object of obsession's point of view. There's this Barry Hanna story called Love Too Long. On the first page, the way the uh, narrator sums up his obsession with his ex-wife is, I wanted to crawl inside her uterus and sleep with my foot hanging out. So, um, bullshit, I say. You want to know what I remember? The time you cut my hair in the middle of the night. I remember waking up the next morning to find you sleeping like a child, clutching my eight-inch ponytail next to your face. With flash fiction, I think the hardest thing about it is you have to make every little thing count. There's no um, lollygagging. That, and that's hard to do. That's, that's a big challenge. What I try to do is just keep things to a singular scene, something that doesn't need too much background explanation. You just need that one detail. He starts cussing at me and keeps on wiggling like it's actually going to help any. I don't do anything right away. Just think about the last time I saw him, when he almost ran me over with a stolen motorcycle, and I try to savor the moment. You know the best part of this, I say to him. Spare keys still under the front mat. One thing that did actually happen to me, at my undergrad, there's this um, pedestrian walkway, and I'm walking out of the Info and Technology building, and this guy who I'd kind of had a thing with, you know, like, things happen and he never called me back again. He, um, his friend rode up on a moped and he was riding bitch uh, behind him and they almost, like, ran me over and he just goes, oh, hey, and then his friend speeds off trying to maneuver between, you know, the crowd of people. One of the tiles in front of him is peeling at the corners and he tugs on one of the free edges until it rips up some more. Ought to get this repaired, he says, and try smoothing the damage back down to where it had been before. Consider it added to my list of shit to do, I say. 
I like there to be a lot of metaphor and symbolism. I try to keep it in the subtle things. So for instance, when he's ripping up the tile in her kitchen, you know, so he made the damage, but then he realizes what he's doing, you know, and he tries to smooth it back down, but then he puts, you know, the responsibility on her to get it fixed. So in that way, you know, um, reflects the relationship that came before this story that I didn't have the space to go into detail for because Flash. I'm trying, I say. I'm trying, I say. I was at a point in my life where I was okay with embracing Southern identity in my writing. I fought against it for a really long time, having been from New York, because, I mean, I was 14 when I moved, so it was like, oh, I'm not a Southerner, I'm a New Yorker, I'm not one of you guys. In that way, it was kind of like a watershed moment in gaining respect for Southern identity. So it was intentional that I gave the narrator a bit of an accent. I definitely played around with syntax a bit and trying to make things sound more natural. But at the same time, I didn't want to go like full Mark Twain dialect, you know, dropping all the G's and and spelling things phonetically. The lightning tore a big tree all to Flinders. Why don't lightning cast a shadow, Jim? I didn't want to go, like, um, sound like my grandma from Morrow, Georgia, you know? Uh, it didn't It didn't need to be that. His face gets red. Are you going to leave me this way? Well, how long have you been here, I say, kicking off my shoes? You might still have a ways to go. He tells me to quit being cruel, says he's really in pain, but I'm still not sure if I believe him, and I say he did it to his own damn self. My mother's going to love this. I was thinking of her a bit when I wrote it. <laughs> um, I had the kind of mother who... She went up to the librarians in upstate New York and was like, give my daughter uh, literature with strong women in it. I was hearing her voice in this a little bit because, you know, all my friends say that when I get angry, um, my Brooklyn accent comes out. And in that way, I sound like my father. But I guess uh, when I'm writing and I want somebody to sound angry, but still poised in a way, I want them to sound like my mother. I don't know. There's something heavy but not harsh about cursing at somebody in a southern accent, at least the way my mother does it, so she'll have to teach me that someday. So I finish my beer and tell him how it's going to work. If I get you out, you gotta leave me be. No more calls, no more breaking and entering. You get yourself gone, understand? When you're writing from first-person narration, there has to be something unique about the voice. Um, I feel like it's a bit of a cop-out to just give him an accent, but at the same time, Uh, they've got to be able to say things in an interesting way. Otherwise, you might as well just have a third-person narrator. The screws aren't all that hard to take out, but there's still the matter of squeezing his fat ass through the hole. I I really want not just the character's way of speaking to come out, but her emotions to come through. That first line is funny because if she were telling this story to somebody else, she's laughing. She's like, oh, fuck, you will not believe what the shithead did to me again. And now Amanda Malone will read her story in its entirety. Someday, baby, you ain't gonna worry about me anymore. I shit you not, when I get home, I find that son of a bitch trying to crawl back into my house through the doggy door. I know something's wrong when I walk inside and little Marla's still yapping out back. And I go to let her in but find him instead, halfway in the house and halfway out. I'll give him this much. He's done a pretty good job of getting himself stuck in there. His head and arms got through, but it looks like things got trickier around the middle. Caught a couple inches beneath his armpits. His face is all red and he's squirming around trying to get out. Well, damn, I say. Wasn't expecting visitors today. He starts cussing at me and keeps on wiggling like it's actually going to help any. I don't do anything right away. Just think about the last time I saw him, when he almost ran me over with a stolen motorcycle, and I try to savor the moment. 
You know the best part of this, I say to him. Spare key still under the front mat. God damn you, he says over and over. I grab a beer from the fridge and sit down at the kitchen table, making sure to angle my chair so I'm still facing him. Ain't right, he says. Ain't right to just watch a man suffer like this. Don't really think you're in any position to be telling me right and wrong, I say. You've done your fair share causing trouble, even before now. There was some good, he says. We had something good together. Bullshit, I say. You want to know what I remember? That time you cut my hair in the middle of the night? I remember waking up the next morning to find you sleeping like a child, clutching my eight-inch ponytail next to your face. Never even got so much as an apology. He looks away. Don't know what you're talking about, he says. There were good times. He doesn't say anything for a few seconds. He only stares silently down at the cheap linoleum squares. One of the tiles in front of him is peeling at the corners, and he tugs on one of the free edges until it rips up some more. Ought to get this repaired, he says, and tries smoothing the damage back to where it had been before. Consider it added to my list of shit to do, I say. His face gets red again. Are you going to leave me this way? Well, how long have you been here, I say, kicking off my shoes. You might still have a ways to go. He tells me to quit being cruel, says he's really in pain, but I'm not sure if I believe him, and I say he did it to his own damn self. Just when it looks like he's about to let out another wail, the sound seems to catch in his throat. He stops struggling, takes a deep breath. Then he says, I'm sorry, all right? Please, he says, help me get out of here. It hurts. There's something about the look on his face now that kills all the fun. Even with all the pain he's caused, I know I can't keep this up. He wasn't all wrong. There'd been some good times once, and there was no use pretending I'd forgotten all of them. As much as I want to teach him a lesson, it doesn't seem worth this kind of trouble. So I finish my beer and tell him how it's going to work. If I get you out, you got to leave me be. No more calls, no more breaking and entering. You get yourself gone, understand? He doesn't look happy about this idea, not one bit. But he nods his head, and I bring in tools from the garage and get to work taking apart the bits and pieces holding him there. There's a moment when I accidentally lean a little too much on him. He yelps about how the frame was really squeezing him, tells me to be careful. There's small, dark red stains beginning to appear on his shirt near where he's caught. I'm trying, I say. The screws aren't all that hard to take out, but there's still the matter of squeezing his fat ass through the hole. As I'm working, I don't notice the bent edge of the dock door's metal frame until my hand slips and the metal slices through the flesh of my ring finger. I curse everything and scramble to the kitchen sink. After running some cold water over the cut, I wrap my finger up in some paper towels to stall the gushing blood. Are you all right, he says. He's leaning to get a better look, but I'm afraid he's going to make his situation worse. I'm fine, I say. Be still. He quits moving, but as soon as I'm back kneeling beside him, he starts going on again about how sorry he is and all that. I tell him I'm almost done to just hang in there. Truth is, I'm afraid there's nothing I can do, but I don't want to stop yet. My hands are shaking and my fingers throbbing and bleeding again, and he keeps talking, but I ignore him. I keep on trying to concentrate, trying to get it all figured out quickly and save us both from the pain. Thank you for listening to Story Exploder. You just heard Amanda Malone talking about her story, Someday Baby, You Ain't Gonna Worry About Me Anymore, which was published again last year by Wyvern Lit. You can find it online. You can also find her stories at Cheap Pop and Barlaby Snopes. Today's show and music were produced by me. Thanks also to Minnesota State University and KMSU 89.7 for letting me use their studios without them even really knowing it, and just thanks for not kicking me out. Stay tuned for a new episode soon. Thanks.